This is Retirement Talk. I'm Del Lowry. The topic this week is suicide, something we don't like to consider but may have to deal with at various times in our lives. My aunt was in her early 70s when she climbed into the chest freezer and pulled the door shut. They found her two days later. No one thought of looking in the freezer. Family, friends, and law officers had searched the farm and scoured the area with no success. She'd deceived everyone. No one suspected suicide. This was a few decades ago. People weren't as attuned to depression as we are today. In retrospect, one might guess that she could have been severely depressed. A Midwestern farm wife living out on a farm, children all gone and grown, little social contact. Her husband was morose and withdrawn. She was running on empty. In a discussion with friends, this topic popped up a few days ago. My friend asked if we knew what group of people in the U.S. commit the most suicides. The correct answer, white males over 80. Why do people think that it is a negative thing? responded one friend, a white male over 80. He went on to say that it only makes sense that many people, when they get that old and perhaps have severe health problems, take their own life. There was no argument. However, no one had guessed that age group. My guess had been the 18 to 23-year-olds. Now that I think about it, that seems like a pretty poor guess. The correct answer was my second guess. Death with dignity signs became popular in our state a few years ago. There was a movement to make it legal to take one's own life with medical assistance if one chose. Of course, there were specific safeguards attached to the initiative. The voters approved. The daughter-in-law of a friend of mine recently accepted the medically assisted end-of-life choice. After battling a debilitating cancer for many years, her condition became unbearable. With friends and family gathered round her bedside, she bid farewell to them and to life itself. Suicide's a tough topic. We don't like to accept death, let alone rush it. The idea of taking one's own life is so very complicated. It's especially difficult for those close and yet left behind. I can't imagine what it must be like. I had a friend in college who eventually became a pretty famous writer in America, whose son committed suicide when just a teen. My friend went into deep depression for two full years. No one ever saw him. The unbearable pain is understandable. A teacher with whom I taught in Alaska walked off into a snowstorm one day. She taught poetry. She read books. She was polite kind and unmarried. She was a romantic. One summer we saw her walking down a narrow country road in Wales. We were riding a bus in the other direction to descend into a deep slate mine. We'd been biking in Ireland and Wales. She had told me she would also be in Wales that summer, visiting famous Welsh writers' homes. Little chance our path would cross, but, she said, her romantic nature spoke. Then there was the picture. Then there she was, 
strolling serenely along a country road in that mountainous region. Soon thereafter, she developed some sort of arthritic condition. One fall day, she came to school in a wheelchair. I went to her room, and she came out into the hall to tell me about it and weep just a bit. A few days later, she failed to come to work. Understandable. Then a few more days passed, and the police were called to check her condo. Everything was in its place. The condo was immaculate. The bills were all paid. The utility had been stopped. There was no note. There was no car in the garage and no sign of violence. A search began. They found her up at Hatcher Pass, about 60 miles north of Anchorage. She'd driven up into this gorgeous, rugged, remote area of mountains and tundra. She had intentionally driven off the road into a falling snow. Leaving her coat in the car, she got out and walked off across the tundra into an early winter storm. She left a trail of clothing as she walked. I'm told that as one gets colder, a feeling of warmth envelops the body. They found her unclothed. She had evidently laid down in the snowy silence and died. Her life ended as one could only imagine in a novel. Sad, but in a way, fitting. Another friend in Alaska ended his life with information provided by the Hemlock Society. He developed a tumor on the brain that was inoperable at 81. Doctors gave him a very limited time to live. He called all of his children and they came to Alaska for a final goodbye. They all gathered for a few days and talked. He explained his condition and his decision to end his own life. He visited the hardware store and obtained a piece of plastic, duct tape, and a bottle of, I think, nitrous oxide and a short hose. He then set up two video cameras in his bedroom to video the entire procedure. He did this to protect his children and wife from the law. He wanted to record of the fact that he was doing this on his own. He bid everyone goodbye and asked him to leave and not return for a half hour or so. The grown children went to the car, sat for a while, then went to a bookstore or coffee shop. When they returned, he was dead and the video cameras had shut down. The police filed no charges. His ashes were spread in the Chugash Mountains that rise above Anchorage. It was his favorite place to ramble. Suicide diminishes us all, just as John Donne's expression in his famous line stated, All men's death diminishes me, for I am involved in mankind. Perhaps it isn't the suicidal aspect of the death, but death itself, that we find so unfair. My experience is limited. I'm sure the suicide of a close friend or one's immediate family must be especially difficult and deliver a unique understanding. This is retirement time. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, contact Dell at Retirement Talk. 